0: I always like to start off with a definition and if you want to define uh, what do we pray for in the sixth petition no better place to go to than the shorter catechism and we find the answer in in question and answer 106 in the sixth petition which is and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil we pray that God will keep us from being tempted to sin that's the first part our support and deliver us when we are tempted that's the second part so in praying this petition all thinking people i think are challenged uh, how can we say god ever leads his people into temptation is it even true to say that all temptation is bad For the people of God. Now I think the difficulty inevitably arises. With the various meanings that are given to the word in the Bible. Let's think of a few of them. In the book of Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. We read that God did tempt Abraham. And said unto Abraham. And he said behold here I am. God tempted Abraham. Isn't that an amazing statement? And yet we read in James 1 and 13. Let no man say when he is tempted I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. So there, there are some variations in meaning here. That are given in the scripture to this word temptation. That we need to be aware of. Temptation can mean what is known as a seduction to sin. You never think the devil as a seducer. But he is. He's the great seducer. And he can seduce people in sin. Remember how he met Eve in the Garden of Eden. The most unlikely place uh, such a seduction would ever have taken place. But here he met Eve. And he did seduce her. And he did inevitably bring her into sin. As when he had the effrontery even to tempt To tempt the great deliverer himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the temptation wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. So, temptation can mean an inducement to sin or a seduction to sin. But it can also mean a trial, it can also mean a test. A test by difficult circumstances, a test by providence. A test that touches the heart and life of an individual. And that's what Peter meant when he wrote in first Peter chapter one and verse seven that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Trial and tried. God's people are tried, and God's people are put through the fire. So if we're going to look at those two meanings of temptation at the very start, we better be clear in our understanding. So there is the temptation to actually literally sin. And there is the temptation or the sense of trial. And it is in this latter sense that we interpret the words of Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. And in the light of all of these truths, we can say, As we open up this sixth petition. That this opening part of the sixth petition cannot mean. It cannot mean do not entice us to sin. Do not lead us into sinful enticements. God never promotes sin. Brethren and sisters. But God permits sin. God permits sin in this world that we live in. Else there would be no sin. But he does not promote it. God cannot be tempted nor does he tempt anybody else to sin. It cannot mean as a Christian lead us not into temptation. Lord don't allow me ever to be tried. Don't allow me ever to come against, up against any difficult circumstances. Because people spoke of the trial of our faith. And I say to every Christian here today your faith will be tried. Before you get to heaven, you will go through the fire. And your faith will be tried, it will be tested. And it cannot mean either, eh, never allow us to be tempted. Because, I mean by that, never allow us to be in the situation where we will be tempted. Because the only place where we will never be tempted is in heaven itself. As we sang in that lovely second hymn. The only place where we're beyond the reach of sin and Satan and the, the, the seducement of sin and Satan is heaven. There are some people, of course, and they think they're perfect before they get there. The ones who think they're perfect are the ones that are least perfect because the pride of their heart is eaten into their common sense. So, what then are we been taught to pray? Well, it's been summarized like this by by Watson. That God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support or deliver us when we are tempted. That God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support or deliver us when we are tempted. Thomas Manton he's written, uh, like Watson, a great volume on this. But just to give you a snippet from it. He said, we cannot be tempted without the will of God, that is, unless he wills it. We cannot resist temptation without the power of God. Therefore, we should earnestly pray to our Father in heaven about our trials, even our temptations. And this is the spirit in which we are to pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation. So this in reality is a prayer for prevention of sin in our lives. We often say prevention is better than a cure. As such I think it deserves. Our closest scrutiny. And attention. If you want to live a sanctified holy life. What a prayer to pray. And we're meant to pray it. From the heart. Lead us not into temptation. And deliver us from evil. So first of all. I want to speak to you from this. uh, Thought. That this of what this petition necessarily supposes. In the larger catechism we read in the sixth petition and then it quotes it Acknowledging that the most wise, righteous and gracious God for diverse, holy and just ends may so order things that we may be assaulted and foiled and for a time led captive by temptations Our Presbyterian forefathers, they were the most balanced and the most realistic of all men. And they talked about Christians being assaulted by sin and Satan. They talked about Christians being foiled by sin and Satan. You know what the word foiled means? It means defeated. They talked even for a time, for a time, being led captive by temptations. We never like to think that, that you and I, as Christians, could be taken captive by the devil. That's only the ungodly. But even for a time, uh, the larger catechism speaks of being led captive by temptation. So God can be said to lead a person into temptation and yet not be the author of the sin in two ways. And it's defined like this objectively and passively. Objectively, We can say that God may lead someone into temptation when by providential circumstances and those providential circumstances they're just, they're good, they are holy but they may set before us occasions to sin. Now we cannot call these occasions motives to sin or enticements to sin. Because, as James reminds us, it's our own corrupt, depraved natures that lead us out into sin and draw us out after sin. Remember David in Psalm 73. it tells us he was envious as a sin when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And every time that you and I, just like David, look out upon the wicked and we say, well, you know, why do they have peace? Why do they have prosperity? And we always seem to be in battle. We're just where David was. We haven't done what the wicked has done, but it has been an occasion for us to sin because we have been envious of what we have seen them to have. Permissively, God may be said to lead his people into temptation and to be assaulted by the tempter. And at the same time he withholds those aids of grace which would prevent them succumbing to it. We read in 2 Samuel 24 and 1 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And what happened? He moved David against them to say go number Israel and Judah. And in 1 Chronicles 21 and 1 we read the 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 historical overview of it Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel we're in a fierce battle we're opposed in all that we would do sometimes it's as if you know you set out to do something And it's just opposition from your start to your finish. And I've heard many parents say that. And as a parent I've said it many times myself. We've said it many times in the church. You you plan. And we do plan. And you organise. But the best of plans never end up the way you planned them. I think that's an inevitability. We are opposed. Satan will oppose us in all that we would seek to do in his name. There's not a Christian in planet earth today who is not opposed Satan is out to oppose you he is well denominated in scripture in Matthew 4 and 3 as the tempter as the tempter Satan comes to tempt he came to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ and you will meet him today and you will meet him this week and it is his strategy to tempt you to sin and to induce you to break the law of god we see this very much in that first revealing of satan in the garden of eden and this is this is his ploy ever since so we should know brethren and sisters and we should take some encouragement from it (coughs) that he cannot force us He cannot compel us to sin, no matter how hard the temptation may be. You might be tempted, you you might have to face the assault full on, but He cannot force you to do it. If He could, then we would fall in every temptation, and every temptation would be irresistible. They're strong, they're strong, but through God's grace, they can be overcome. We read in James 4 and 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submission. And then we read in the next part of the verse. Resist the devil. And when we're submitted to God. Resisting the devil. What do we read? He flees from you. He flees from you. It's amazing isn't it? The devil would flee from Ian Harris. Not too many would flee from Ian Harris. But when we submit to God and resist the devil he has no option but to flee from us so whilst we look at this picture of this great malevolent force of evil that's in the world and he's out to do harm to the people of God and he's out to ensnare us and to entrap us we take encouragement that when we resist the devil by God's grace not by our resistance he has to flee from us we read in second uh, corinthians twelve eight and 9 about the apostle paul he's in a battle here and he's beseeching the lord he is seeking the lord that the lord would take away this infirmity of the flesh from him and what does the lord say paul said i besought the lord thrice that it might depart from me as some of you have been praying i know over problems for many years and wouldn't it just be wonderful that they were just taken away from us or or we were taken out of the problem but it wasn't the will of God for uh, Paul and neither is it the will of God for you or I because the Lord said to Paul my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Those are amazing words. Satan, there's oh, many ways in which he tempts us to sin. But the, the, the main two ways is by subtlety and stealth. By subtlety and stealth or by force and fierce assault. By subtlety and stealth or by force and fierce, fierce assault. A subtle that's how he's he's described in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2 he is described as the old serpent which deceiveth the whole world now somebody said you can't deceive all of the people all of the time but you can if you're Satan and there is worldwide deception even today he can't be all things to all people He is the great destroyer and he is the great deceiver and he brings those fiery darts and he knows how to apply them. He has precision targeting and he knows exactly how to apply them. Thomas Watson, I've I've introduced you to him many times. I was reading through Thomas Watson in this great verse. And he has 27 different subtle ways in which Satan tempts the people of God. Now that would be another series, wouldn't it, if we were to go down that road. I would encourage you to look it up. Just look it up. You'll find it there free on the internet. Just look it up. How subtly Satan can take poison. And he can make it to taste like honey. Satan can take something that's harmless. And he can use it to hurt. The vilest of sins are today made to be seen respectable and passed for a a socially acceptable alternative. His frontal attacks, his his fierce attacks are no less real. Those fiery darts that he uses, he, he fires into the minds of the people of God. Psalm 77, verse 8 to 10. And even from the hearts of even the truest saints can come forth the vilest of sins. Would you turn there with me just for a moment or two to Matthew chapter 15? Matthew 15, verse 19. Matthew 15 verse 19. Jesus said out of the heart. Oh here's something to waken us all up today. Proceed evil thoughts. You know there's many evil thoughts put into my heart. But there's a legion more come out of it. Murders. Adulteries. Fornications. Thefts. False witnesses. Blasphemies. Blasphemies. These are the things which defail a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defaileth not a man. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees who used the ceremonial washings uh, to, as it were, say that they were clean, that they were pure. But Jesus said you can wash your hands all you want, but it doesn't wash your heart. From the heart. Sometimes the question is asked, how can I decide then? How can I determine if those thoughts that are in my mind, how can I know either they're from my own sinful heart or they're from Satan? Well, I remember reading many years ago in Martin Lloyd-Jones, his description of this uh, conundrum in in uh, spiritual depression. If you haven't read that book, even if you're not depressed, I would encourage you to read it. It's a great, it's a great book. But he talks about people who are troubled in their mind, and they can even be in the most sacred of environments, and even they can be at the Lord's table. They can be at prayer. They can be at the ordinances, and Satan puts blasphemies into their mind, just a sudden dart from nowhere, and they can be overcome by it, and they can be pulled down by it. It's just like a a, a a a lightning rod flashing into the mind. And Lloyd-Jones said, that's a fiery dart of hell. We need to be warned. We need to be warned that the world gives way to many. The world makes way for many foul temptations. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it to you again and again. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you watch. Somebody was telling me they were at... A certain place. And they saw a certain certain thing. I'll not even say what it was. But this is a minister of the gospel. And he said to me. That image stayed in his mind. For years. For years. The world will. Give any amount. Of opportunities. To pollute and defile the mind. And our corrupt and our depraved natures, they drink it all in. Be careful what you watch. I'm not going to tell you what to watch on your television screen. But be careful what you put on it. And be careful what you allow children to watch. So when we're praying here, lead us not into temptation. There is this presumption that we're in a battle. We're in a battle with the world, with the flesh and with the devil. And they all line up against us. Secondly, it reminds us there's only one way to overcome all of this evil. How how do we overcome it? Well, what we're talking about. Through prayer. Through prayer. That's what the sixth petition addresses itself to. If you want deliverance, you have to pray about it. There are people will say they battle with this and that and the other. (coughs) And I ask, have you prayed about it? It seems nearly... I try to some people to ask them that but that's the foundational question to ask have you prayed about it and the way to overcome such evil is to pray for deliverance Paul is summarizing his teaching I think here in the Christian armor uh, he said in uh, Ephesians six eighteen, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit that's how you put it all on that's how you make it effective prayer must be sincere. If you really want deliverance, there has to be sincerity. You have to (coughs) really sincerely want to be delivered. There's some (coughs) folk and they talk that they battle with this and that and the other, but they're not really sincere in what they, they want to be delivered from. It has to be prayed believingly. Do you really believe that God can deliver? That's what we sang about earlier on. We have to believe that that God is interested in delivering us as his people. It's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver. It's the work of Satan to ensnare. It's the work of Christ to deliver. And when we major upon the work of Christ. We are reminded time and time again. That it's Christ who delivers. Those great words of Christ in John 17:15 come to mind. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. But that thou shouldest keep them them from the evil that's deliverance we have to face it but we do not have to be overcome by it there is deliverance there's a third truth that this emphasizes that there is a means for this deliverance the word deliver means rescue it, it means save Second Peter 2 and 9 tells us the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Now that should be an encouragement for every Christian today. No matter what you're battling with at home, at work, in community. The Lord knows how to deliver. The Lord knows how to deliver us from the slander of the devil. The devil is the great accuser. He, he's the great all time accuser of the saints of God. And he's good at accusing. And we ought not to give the devil any leeway. We ought not to give him any help. We we read about such things in Numbers 14, 35, 36. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there shall they die. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. Don't be found slandering, doing the devil's work, the, the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in First Timothy 3.11, Even so must their wives be grieved, not slanderers. Sober, faithful in all things. Well, if the wife of a deacon and an elder is not to be a slanderer, neither is a deacon or an elder. Or neither is a church member. The Lord knows how to deliver us from slander. He knows how to deliver, to deliver us from snaring. Uh, and there's no greater snare set by the devil in this world than false religion. Satan is called the god of this word he loves to be worshipped that's what he craves he loves false worship he craves and longs for the homage of the multitudes but the Lord delivers there's deliverance from the subtlety of Satan we've thought of 27 different ways we'll have referenced 27 different ways but the Lord Jesus Christ can deliver you from every one of them he's able to deliver And there's the promise of security whilst we face the battle. There's the promise of security as I face the battle. You know, I I always love to know that there's somebody watching my back. As I face the enemy, there's somebody watching over me. I have on that breastplate of righteousness that Satan can't penetrate. And I have encamped round about me The angel of the Lord. We read about that rainbow around the throne. The rainbow that you and I see in the sky. Is only 180 degrees. But the rainbow that surrounds the throne is 360 degrees. We're surrounded by the protection of God. No weapon. Isaiah 50 4.17 says that is formed against they shall prosper. It doesn't mean to say you'll not have to face it. It doesn't mean to say it's not better. It doesn't mean to say it's not a battle. But it will not prosper. We're not promised exemption from trouble or sorrow. But whilst enduring them God, God can keep us secure. I want to close with this little thought. There's encouragement for those who have fallen to the temptation. Watson outlines this in a most beautiful way. Though a Christian may fall by a temptation, yet the seed of God remains in them. There are many people think if they sin, they've lost their salvation. Isn't it? it would not be an awful thing? It would not be an awful thing? That every time I sin, I lose my salvation. Well, if that be the case, I never had it in the first place. First John three and. Uh, nine reminds us that his seed remains in him what's that the seed of grace the seed of righteousness his seed remains in him grace can be opposed grace can be shaken but grace cannot be destroyed isn't that wonderful to know no matter how intense the battle is the, the grace of God within the heart of an individual cannot be destroyed a man may be bruised by his fall. But there's still life in them. I've often looked at children. And it's lovely to see them, you know, they're, they're learning to walk. And they, they, they grab this piece of furniture. And they pull themselves up. And then they fall. But do they remain fallen? No. They get back up again. There's something in Italy within the child. That tells the child. In order to walk I have to get back up again. Maybe you've fallen into some sin. Maybe you've fallen into the temptation today. I I want to encourage you that the seed of grace still remains within. A child of God may be overcome in a skirmish, but I just want to encourage you again: that's not the end of the that's not the end of the war. Satan can foil, but he cannot defeat. Satan can ensnare, but he can't conquer. We may lose ground and from time to time we do lose ground. But you know we rejoice today, we can't lose the victory. I'm glad God does not judge his children by the one action of our hearts. But instead as Watson lovely puts it, it's by the frame of the heart. And Watson uses this lovely illustration. When we were in Kenya, when you bought milk you had to boil the milk. So you never would have uh, uh, used milk that wasn't boiled because that was to kill all the bacteria within the milk. And so you had to watch it. And the milk would bubble up to the top of the saucepan and then you'd turn the, the gas down and it would cool away down again. So you never measured the milk when it was bubbling up at the top of the saucepan. That was not a true measurement. And that's how... Uh, Watson uses this lovely illustration God does not take the measure of his taint when when it has boiled up in a passion in him but he judges him by the pulse and the temper of his heart the true measure of you is not when the fire of temptation is, is upon you the true measure of you is the true frame of your heart is there sincerity there I talked to a man many years ago my first meeting really of someone who and he told me he was a believer I said what a place you fellowship in Oh, I don't go anywhere I don't need that at all and he, he told me really he was a backslider but he was happy in his backslidden place what was it well he was, he was a fake he was a phony because even the, the backslider is never happy in the place where he is. God also can make the saints fall by temptation, something that will be to his spiritual advantage. Sometimes we're allowed to have a close run with something. You know, sometimes you're driving around the road, you come to a, a corner, and you haven't been around that corner before. And you just barely make it round it. But any time you come to that corner again you're always so careful, aren't you? And driving round it again. That's what temptation does. I know my weakness. I have to be careful. And brethren and sisters, you should know your weakness. And where there's a weakness you ought to be careful. And when you come to that corner, you better drive very carefully round it. Else you meet something head on on the other side. And it ends in serious repercussions. Lead us not into temptation. That's the battle. But here's the, the blessing. The Lord delivers us. The Lord does deliver us.